Welcome to the Eat Right Nutrition Podcast, where we partner with experts in the health, wellness, and nutrition field to deliver you an excellent variety of content based on real science, real facts, and real food. I'm your host, Aron. And I'm Nicole. And today we're talking the power of protein. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Eat Right Nutrition podcast, episode number 71. Today, we're talking all about protein, what it is, how much you need, and why you need it. So to kick off this episode, Nicole, I want to start by emphasizing that protein comes from the Greek word proteos, meaning of first importance. Mm -hmm. And this is how I view protein, because we oftentimes talk about a protein anchored approach Mm -hmm. when it comes to health and fitness next to water being about probably about 70% of what your body's made of until you get older, then it's a little bit less, maybe 60 or 50%, Mm -hmm. a little bit more dehydrated as you age, you dry out, (laughs) dry out, you get old and dry and frail, (laughs) but next to water, the body is mostly made up of protein. And then you've got some other things. Obviously you've got, um, You've got bones, calcium, blood cells, other types of cells, right? But I mean, blood cells are really made up of protein too. So really protein is just important for all of your life functions. I mean, protein is essential for building lean muscle, which our audience, you know, is always, that's why a lot of people come to this show. They want to know how to build lean muscle, lose body Mm -hmm. fat. But it's important for building lean muscle. It's also important for creating enzymes that help your body to metabolize or help some chemical reactions to happen in your body. They speed up chemical reactions. It's essential for hormones, right? When we're looking Mm -hmm. at something like growth hormone, that's a peptide that is made up of a different sequence of amino acids. When we're looking at DNA, chemical messengers, those are all proteins that are coded to tell your body to do a specific thing. And then when we're looking at from a standpoint of healthy hair, skin, nails, when we're looking at organs and functioning of organs, your heart is made up of muscle, which is protein. You have smooth muscle tissue in your kidneys and your liver. Those are all made up of protein. So we're basically just protein water blobs just walking around. <laughs> blobs. But this is, it speaks to me, it speaks to the importance of protein. And I don't care what anybody says. I don't, most people, I don't think get enough, especially in the fitness world. Now yeah. there's some thought out there that because industry is pushing and driving protein, that people are getting too much protein. And there are so there are studies on this where they they'll do survey studies on how much protein people are eating on mm-hmm. a daily basis and it will come out to okay well people are eating too much protein and i look at this from my experience practicing nutrition with clients and i say people are so inclined to overestimate their protein intake yeah. like you'll have people that will say well 
I eat, how much protein do you eat in a day? Well, I definitely hit at least hundred grams of protein a day. And then you have them log in a food journal and you realize that they're only eating 30 or 40 grams of protein in a day. And I see this mm-hmm. over and over and over again. So surveys in the research to me, they're not really accurate when you know that you've spoken to countless number of people, hundreds of people that are, are overestimating the amount of protein. It's like that concept, Nicole, where I always say, if you've never weighed and measured the foods that you're eating, then you have this portion distortion and you have no Mm -hmm. idea what four ounces of chicken looks like, eight ounces of steak. Like you don't have a perception of these things. And this is where this is where it all starts when it comes to protein. It starts with weighing and measuring your quantities. Yeah. And the other thing, too, that I think is a big piece to that is it's not just about how much you get per day. It's how much protein you consistently consume day to day, month to month, year to year. Well, I had this big thing. And I had this conversation the other day with somebody where I said it's one thing to get in to hit your protein target for a day. It's another thing to consistently hit it day in and day out. That's my biggest thing. I do have lots of clients that hit protein here and sporadically here and there, but very few, almost none until we start really working on building that as a practice consistently hit their protein day to day, month to month, year to year. And that, that really is true. So from a research standpoint, I would want to know how long they're tracking that and how consistent it is. Well, the reality is the reality is they're not tracking it. Right. You no. survey a bunch of random people yeah. in some neighborhood somewhere and then you say, OK, well, people are eating enough protein. If you just ask somebody how many grams of protein but, they're eating, how the hell do they know? Yeah. And enough isn't the same as adequate and consistently adequate. That's well, my point. so there there are there is some dispute here. Right. In terms of protein. And we'll get into that a little bit later on. But the first thing I think I want to touch up on, Nicole, is protein and health. And why Mm -hmm. protein is essential from a health standpoint. Okay. So first and foremost, and we've talked about this previously on an episode. I forget which one. It was like five myths of protein. Yeah. So refer back to that for a little bit more detailed explanation on this. But we have talked about uh, increasing calcium absorption for strong bones. And the old thought process around this used to be, well, protein is acidic and therefore it pulls uh, calcium from your bones in order to, as to use as a kind of like a buffer to make sure that you maintain homeostasis in the acidity or the pH of your blood. Now mm-hmm. we used to think that in the research, because we, what we used to say was, or what science used to say was that, well, we're finding that people have more calcium in their blood. And then what we're finding is it's actually the opposite. It's actually that when you're consuming more protein, you're also able to absorb more protein. Mm-hmm. So you're increasing absorption via your intestines and therefore you're actually building stronger bones. So this mm-hmm. is where that kind of tie-in of, are you doing resistance training to build muscle, right? Because now you're, if you're doing resistance training to build muscle, you're giving that calcium a place to go to build stronger bones along with muscle, right? So prevention of osteoporosis I think actually increasing your protein, what the data shows is that increasing your protein is going to increase absorption of calcium. And therefore, if you're doing resistance training, you're also going to give that calcium a place to go and you're going to build stronger, healthier bones. And from a osteoporosis point, what I always say is that you're building 
bones stronger and stronger up until a certain point in your life. And then you get to a point where it kind of flips, right? So you have more calcium being deposited than you do have calcium turnover in your bones. And then at some age that flips and you have more turnover than you do depositing. So you're losing more bone density. So it's very important to consume protein throughout the life stages to ensure that mm -hmm. you're building bones as much as you can so that you're going to outlive that uh, calcium loss. turnover and that loss. You want to basically die before you get what we call honeycomb bones. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the issues with that too, Nicole, is that we're living longer too. So we, yeah. we definitely want to make sure that we are consuming adequate, also adequate calcium, mm -hmm. but consuming adequate protein and doing resistance training in the early stages. Like when you're from you from the time that you're a teenager on and for our parents here listening to this, mm -hmm. your kids need to be lifting weights, Active. eating adequate protein, making sure they're getting calcium. I don't really care where they get it from, whether you get it from dairy, nuts, seeds, uh, vegetables, you're getting it from fish, right? You need to be consuming adequate calcium coupled with adequate protein and resistance training. So that is first and foremost from a protein and health standpoint. The next thing is what we find in research is that you end up decreasing your caloric consumption by as high as about probably somewhere in like the 400 calorie range. So if you're somebody who's trying to create a calorie deficit and you're struggling to do so, you'll have an easier time when you take that protein anchored approach. And one of the big reasons why is because protein increases satiety. Mm -hmm. So anytime you have protein with a meal, you're going to be able to stretch out that time more from the time that you have that meal to the time that you're hungry again. Yep. So that's number two from a weight loss and fat loss standpoint, which ties into health because the leaner we are, obviously to a certain point, the, the healthier we are essentially. The other piece to protein from a health standpoint and from a metabolic rate standpoint, and this is kind of twofold, is one, and, and this kind of also goes to the fat loss camp, the people that are here listening to us from a fat loss strategy is the thermic effect of protein, or we call a TEF, thermic effect of food. And we look at protein, carbs, and fat, and we say protein has the highest thermic effect out of all three of your macronutrients. Mm -hmm. Arguably, actually, Nicole, it's interesting. I, I heard somebody the other day talk about water as like the fourth macronutrient, mm -hmm. which was interesting to me because I'd never really thought about it like that, but it was kind of like a paradigm shift because I was like, well, I mean, water is probably the most important macronutrient because you literally cannot live without it. Yeah. So I just thought that was cool on a side note, but back to the TEF, the thermic effect of food is highest when you're eating protein. It's about 30% versus eating carbs and fat. And there's some dispute mm -hmm. in the research of the, well, I guess there's more dispute on satiety and not really so much the thermic effect, but um, how many calories do you burn, burn burning, you know, with carbs versus fat, but protein, we know it's about 30%. So what that means is that you can just take 30% of the calories that you eat in a protein. Let's say you eat 300 calories of protein Mm -hmm. you can subtract 30% of that because it's going to take about 30% for you to digest and absorb and process that protein. Mm -hmm. So you're going to burn more calories consuming more protein, which is going to lead to more weight loss. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And the other side of protein from a metabolic standpoint is you're increasing your resting metabolic rate or basal metabolic rate through building more muscle. Yep. So what happens is muscle is the most metabolically active tissue in the body. It consumes the most calories and the more muscle you have, the higher your basal metabolism. So yep. if you are, and now obviously this has to be coupled with resistance training because you're not just going to eat protein and build muscle. You need also yes. a stimulus in order to elevate or stimulate muscle protein synthesis efficiently. You need two things. One, you need a stimulus, which is weight training. And mm -hmm. two, you need protein, which is also going to further elevate that, right? So the studies, the research that we have on muscle protein synthesis, let's say post-workout and beyond, is that when you do resistance training, you have a spike in muscle protein synthesis, and then you add protein on top of that, and you have a further spike even higher in muscle protein synthesis. So the two of those things combined are going to help you to build more muscle. The other piece and the last piece that I'll talk about here from a health standpoint is protein and blood sugar. Now, protein is going to help you to regulate your blood glucose levels by delaying gastric emptying. So if I were to eat a carbohydrate by itself versus a carbohydrate with a protein, the carbohydrate is going to digest and absorb relatively quickly and a lot quicker than a protein would. So now if I consume, let's say I eat rice, let's say I'm having a, a cup of white rice. If I'm having a cup of white rice versus a cup of white rice and a steak, then the cup of white rice by itself is going to elevate the blood sugar a lot. And the steak is going to kind of mitigate some of that and slow down the release of sugar into my bloodstream. And interestingly enough, what we find in studies is the timing matters too, right? So if you're having that steak right before you eat the carbs, or if you're eating the carbs first and then having the protein, there's a difference in blood sugar there, which generally favors eating your protein first. So when you eat, it might be useful to have a few bites of your protein first and then go into your carbs and the rest of your plate and then finish off whatever you're having. Mm -hmm. So Nicole, the next thing I want to talk about is really the importance of consistently consuming protein. And there's a couple of things here. First and foremost, our bodies, they store fat and our bodies store carbs. We store fat as fat, right? If we eat, eat in excess of calories, mm -hmm. doesn't matter what we're eating. If we're eating in excess of calories, we're likely going to convert things into fat and store it. Mm -hmm. If we're eating carbohydrates, if we're eating an excess of carbohydrates and we'll include it with an excess of surplus of calories, obviously some of that's going to be stored as fat, but we do have glycogen stored in our bodies for immediate use. So for example, our liver stores the majority of our glycogen and then our muscles store carbohydrates as glycogen for fuel for that specific muscle, right? Like I'm storing glycogen in my bicep, that's going to be used for bicep curls or lifting something up in, in that way. If mm -hmm. I'm, you know, doing a shoulder press, I have glycogen in my shoulders to kind of fuel that workout if needed. So you've got storage for fat and you've got storage for carbs, but you don't really have storage for protein. We have what's called the amino acid pool, mm -hmm. which is basically just circulating amino acids that are in your system for meals that you've eaten. And whatever your body can use from that throughout the day, it can and start to combine things from other meals. Right. But you don't have storage. Like if I fasted for a period of time, eventually I'm going to run out of amino acids. Mm -hmm. 
So we need to continuously consume protein. And we also need to kind of continuously consume essential amino acids that our bodies are incapable of even making, right? So our bodies can make some of the amino acids, but there are nine of them that are essential mm-hmm. and our bodies can't produce them. So we need to consume them through diet. Yes. Consistently. Consistently. Right. So now those nine essential amino acids are, and there's a 10th kind of conditionally essential. And I'll get into that. The nine essential amino acids are histidine, isoleucine, leucine, lysine, methionine, phenylalanine, threonine, tryptophan, and valine. And then you've got the branch chain amino acids. They're kind of branched in structure. You have leucine, valine, and isoleucine, the three essential amino acids that are really kind of the rock stars in terms of building muscle. That's why you'll Mm -hmm. see branch chain amino acid supplements, even though I will say you don't really need to consume branch chain amino acid supplements if you're consuming adequate protein in the diet, because Mm -hmm. that'll, you're fine there. Now, the conditionally essential amino acid is glutamine. So when glutamine is depleted, let's say you get uh, an injury, let's say you get in a car accident and there's a, a severe trauma to your body, your body needs glutamine to recover and it's not able to make enough of it. So that's where glutamine becomes kind of conditionally essential. And this is where, Nicole, I'm going to get into glutamine supplementation and some of my thoughts around glutamine supplementation Glutamine supplementation in terms of workouts. So I'm, I think the thought of taking glutamine for workout recovery is kind of derived from, well, it's conditionally essential, right? So if you do a workout, then that's kind of traumatic and your body needs to recover. So it's going to need more glutamine, but I don't really think that a workout is going to warrant that kind of need for glutamine. It's not like this severe trauma where you're completely depleting glutamine and you need glutamine for, you know, muscle repair and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I don't necessarily think that individuals need to supplement with glutamine. I'm going to say from a muscle building standpoint, I think from yeah. a gut health standpoint, it's different. I'm not going to get into that today. I think we're going to get into that in a later episode, but from mm-hmm. a muscle building standpoint, I don't necessarily think that glutamine is necessary, mm-hmm. but that's it. I mean, those are the essential amino acids and we need to get those. So the question then is where do we find these essential amino acids? And first and foremost, and this is like what I always say, animals and animal byproducts. So meat, fish, poultry, dairy, and eggs are always going to be your sources. They all have all of the essential amino acids in them. Vegetarians and vegans in that camp, maybe not vegetarians because they're consuming eggs and stuff. But in the vegan camp, I'm not going to say it's impossible because you can combine things, right? You can have beans and legumes and combine them with grains, and then you can create essential amino acids. Yep. Um, and then there are other things, right? Like soy is a, uh, is a, an excellent source of protein. It's highly bioavailable and it's also very high in protein and it has contains all nine essential amino acids. The mm-hmm. other things that we look at, and this is kind of interesting because I've had conversations with people that will be like, oh, well, quinoa is a source of protein. It's a quote unquote superfood, right? Um, and then other things like amaranth, buckwheat, and hemp seeds and chia seeds. So those, those are the ones that I know of that are, they contain all nine essential amino acids. The issue is if you look at something like chia seeds, Nicole, I think you said what? It was one ounce was five grams of protein. 
Yeah, to comparison to, I think it's 12 grams of carbohydrates. You know, what was interesting is I had a, a vegan professor mm-hmm. who was telling me and she was teaching um, nutrition and like sports nutrition, nutrition and exercise. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and she was like, do you use protein powder, Duron? And I'm like, yeah, I do. And I'm like, it's just a convenient high source of protein in the morning when I'm on the go and I'm out the door. Mm-hmm. And she goes, well, maybe you should try chia seeds instead. Throw some chia seeds. And I laughed. I was like, in my head, I laughed. I'm not going to laugh directly in her face, in her (laughs) face. But I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, do you know how many pounds of chia seeds I need to eat to get the protein (laughs) that I'm trying to get in a day? Right. So those are to me are like secondary sources. They add into that pool. Yes. But they're not going to help you to build. Now, soy is the exception of that because soy is like things like soy tofu. Those are going to be the exception. But let me go back a little bit into meat, fish, poultry, dairy, and eggs. Okay. This is where I get into you are what you eat. Mm-hmm. If you eat muscle, you're going to build muscle, mm-hmm. right? That's your muscle is going to have the components that you need. And it's kind of similar to when we talk about other proteins. And I guess we didn't put that on the list here, but we can talk about that too. We can talk about uh, collagen. Mm-hmm. Essentially, most collagen is either marine source collagen or uh, bovine source collagen, like beef collagen. Yeah. And it's essentially taking specific body parts of those animals and uh, taking the collagen from there and taking those types of amino acids. You're looking at me like, oh, you're talking about animal body parts here. (laughs) But so you're taking those types of amino acids that are going to restore those types of uh, tissue in your body, right? So if you're eating mm-hmm. muscle, you're going to re- use the amino acids. It's going to be very high in branched chain amino acids. It's going to be very high in leucine, which is a very anabolic amino acid, right? D- dramatically increases muscle protein synthesis. A- and then for the skin, right? You're taking things like uh, proline, hydroxyproline, like the secondary proteins that help to uh, maintain good skin health, uh, mm-hmm. joint tissue, right? There's some research on uh, collagen peptides and like certain types of collagen peptides and supplementing with them. I, I just had somebody recently who said, Hey, I'm having an L- ACL surgery. Yep. And so like, what do you recommend? And I'm like, outside of what I would normally recommend healthy anti-inflammatory diet, high in vegetables, lots of produce, adequate protein, good yep. sources of fatty acids, omega-3 fatty acids to help to mitigate some of that inflammation Outside mm-hmm. of that, what I would say is collagen, because there is some research that shows that collagen peptides does help to restore connective tissue after a surgery. There was yep. one study that I specifically saw on uh, the recovering from Achilles tendon injury mm-hmm. and helping to restore connective tissue after you've had a surgery from, from that type of a procedure, from that type of an injury. So, you know, they're, they're, what you're looking at essentially is you're consuming components of the tissue that you're trying to build. Yeah. Right. And then that's where it comes in with muscle. Like you lift weights, like you said, Nicole, that's quote unquote kind of damaged, right? You Mm -hmm. put a stress on a body part and it needs to repair. Then you're going to have for, from a muscle building standpoint, branch chain amino acids, you're going to have the essential amino acids that help with recovery of that type of tissue. Yeah. And the balance of the two, which is, you know, I wanted to talk about that today. If you are someone that is eating adequate amount of protein, but not utilizing your strength program, 
you're out of balance as far as I'm concerned. If you're using you, if you're, <laughs> if you're, you know, quote unquote damaging and tearing down muscle tissue when you lift and you're not eating enough adequate protein, you're also out of balance. So both pieces to the puzzle have to be really strong in order for this to create the change that you're looking for in your, in your body or physique. Right. So Nicole, I think what you're referring to is nitrogen balance, right? And mm-hmm. when we get into nitrogen balance, we talk about positive nitrogen balance, negative ni- nitrogen balance, and we talk about neutral nitro- nitrogen balance. And neutral is basically where you want to be. You want to be building as much as you're breaking down, Tearing right? Down. So yep. essentially it's kind of like a concept of catabolic and anabolic, right? If you're in a positive or a neutral nitrogen balance, you're good. If you're in a negative nitrogen balance, that means that you're depleting more amino acids than you're building or more proteins than you're building. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of a place that you don't want to be, especially if you are looking to progress in your fitness. You know, it's interesting. I had a a conversation with a client the other day and he said, man, I'm like, I'm not getting stronger on my bench press. And we were just training together. And Mm -hmm. I said, well, what are you doing on the nutrition end? Because I don't handle the nutrition. And he's like, well, I haven't really been focused on that. I'm like, well, I'm like, picture this. You're trying to build a house, but you don't have any bricks. What are you going to do? You're just going to stand around and and wait. Like it's not (laughs) going to happen. So, you know, I look at it and I'm like, well, you need the building blocks and you need to promote a positive or neutral nitrogen balance. So yeah. In order to do that, you need to make sure that you're taking in the components that are going to help you build muscle. Yep. And I feel like a lot of clients get really frustrated when, from a habit standpoint, with whether it be the workout program or nutrition. It's like when I was in school and I would get a bad grade in one class, and my father would be like, okay, we'll study more in that class. And I would, and then I would, my grade would drop in another class because I could only focus on one at a time. Um, but it, that's exactly what it feels like. It's that same seesaw analogy that I always use. When the seesaw tips and you know you can't find that good balance, you can get stuck. You can get stuck in that progress, like your, your client that says, "I can't, you know, get past my bench press," but he's not replenishing and rebuilding his fuel source. Like, yeah. So you need two things. So the first thing I said was focus on your protein. The second thing I said mm-hmm. was you need a calorie surplus. But first, get in your protein and have that be one habit, right. so Step that it's one. not. So it's not overwhelming for you to, oh man, I got to focus on protein, carbs, and fat. Like this is crazy, right? So (laughs) you got to focus on one thing at a time and just tackle the habit of one macronutrient. I don't care what you eat outside of that. Just focus on your protein, protein anchored approach. Make sure you're Mm -hmm. eating adequate protein. Then we're going to focus on carbs, quality, what you're doing pre-workout, post-workout, you Mm -hmm. know, all that stuff. I feel like the other stuff kind of does balance out a little more naturally when you do get that primary protein set. It's sometimes, not as hard. Sometimes. Sometimes. Although, yes, although sometimes, so, sometimes what I find is that in, in the initial dialogue with uh, clients is that if I tell them eat protein, like, hey, just focus on your protein. Then that, that's all they eat. <laughs> that's all they eat is protein. And then yeah. I'm like, oh, you got to get other. Now we need to worry about fiber. We talk about balance. Yeah. Fiber to digest all the protein and, and you know, True. clean out, you know, so it really depends on the individual and how they grasp and, and how they hear, <laughs> how they hear the message. And I think that's where it's yeah. important as a coach is how you deliver the message to make sure that they're hearing it in the proper way. Yeah. I talk about, we talked about this many times before is plating your food. That's why I like to say, take, I have, Tons of pictures on Instagram. If you've been following my page of my clients' plates, and a lot of the times, if I don't have clients journaling in like an app, I will have them plate their food and send me their four meals, three meals, whatever it is per day, so I can at least see what's on their plate. 
so that they can focus on at least what's going on there, that there is a protein, there is a carb, a vegetable, fat, good, good balance. All right, Nicole. So then we get into how much protein. And if you look at the dietary guidelines, they say, well, 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight. And, and I look at this as, well, that's going to prevent deficiency in your average population. That's not going to be necessarily what's optimal. Mm-hmm. And especially when we're looking in a gym setting and a fitness minded setting, we need more protein and 0.8 grams per kilogram is not enough. Now, if you have some type of let's say disease state, right? What research shows and what also a little controversial, but um, because there's some newer information that might suggest differently, which I've seen, but what research shows is that in terms of like, if you have impaired kidney function and stages of kidney disease, then obviously you want, you might want protein on the lower end, but we're just talking healthy individuals. 0.8 grams per kilogram is just to prevent deficiency. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you're working out and you're a fitness minded individual, depending on what your goal is, that's going to change the recommendation for protein. So my range is going to be 1.6. 1.6 seems to be the threshold in some recent studies on increasing muscle protein synthesis. So like, it's like, all right, well, 1.6 grams per kilogram is the cap for most people. Mm -hmm. What I like to say is give yourself a range of 1.6 to 2.0 grams per kilogram. 2.0 being almost your body weight, 2.2 would technically be your body weight. Um, And that is for building lean body mass if you're in a calorie surplus. Now, Mm -hmm. if you're in a calorie deficit, I'm going to go a little bit on the higher end and I'm going to say 2.0 to 2.2 grams per kilogram of body weight. And the reason why I say that is because when you're in a deficit, you want to spare as much muscle as you can to keep your resting metabolism elevated. So in looking at sparing muscle, right? Because at some point, if your body needs the energy and doesn't have enough fuel from carbohydrates, it might want to make carbohydrates. And how's it going to do that? It's going to go through gluconeogenesis and it's going to break down protein or muscle for energy. So we're just going to take amino acids from wherever they are. You don't want to do that in a deficit. So you want to be a little bit higher on protein to spare muscle in a calorie deficit. So again, 0.8 0.8 grams to prevent deficiency. If you're just sitting around in your couch potato and doing nothing, it's not optimal. 1.6 to 2.0 grams per kilogram in a surplus to build lean mass. And then 2.0 to 2.2 grams per kilogram of body weight in a deficit for muscle protein sparing. Yep. And you definitely have to pay attention to the individual because while that's those are g- great ranges, I've definitely gone above and below in some of those circumstances, depending on who the person is. Yeah. And you also want to scale up, right? Like if you start mm-hmm. logging in and you see that you're eating 50 grams of protein a day, like I'm always like, all right, let's get you to 90 to 100 grams mm-hmm. and then let's build from there. Now, there's some thought around some people do this in terms of lean body mass, like, well, don't you technically just want to feed lean body mass and not necessarily feed? I've done that before with clients. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's I just find it's the, the way to simplify it in terms of, OK, well, let's just do it per kilogram of body weight and call it a day. Technically speaking. Yeah, it's it's correct to think. All right. Well, you want to feed lean body mass so you can do it based off of your lean body mass. Um, but I think a lot of the time that I'll do that if they have been eating really significantly low amounts and I want to like work my way kind of up the chain 
to, to get them high, uh, you know, so it gives them a little bit more grace. And Nicole, I think the last piece to talk about when it comes to protein and consuming protein is the uh, protein feeding frequency. So mm-hmm. what we find is anywhere from three to five meals. We used to think the more meals you eat, the more protein synthesis you're going to have. Right. But anywhere from three to five, that's where you're, that's what the range is going to be in terms of feeding frequency. Like if you're eating all your protein in one meal, first of all, you're going to absorb it, but you're not going to utilize all that protein. Mm-hmm. And if like, if you're having, let's say 80, 90 grams in a meal, it's not really going to be as beneficial as splitting it up into anywhere between three and five servings throughout the day. So keeping yeah, that in what- mind, uh, protein feeding frequency is important in terms of increasing muscle protein synthesis throughout the day as well. And then the other piece, Nicole, like you had alluded to earlier is consistency. Like you need to eat the proper grams of protein every single day and the proper number of meals focused on protein feeding frequency. And you need to focus on the sources of protein that you're getting in. And just like Nicole, we talked about earlier with these kind of the things that I don't consider primary sources of protein, like the plant, some Mm -hmm. of the plant sources that are primarily like chia seeds, I guess would be primarily a fat and uh, like your grains, like uh, quinoa is going to be primarily a carb, even though it's higher in protein than some other grains. What we're looking at here is if you were to try and get all of your protein intake from those types of plant sources of protein, you're going to go way over on your calories because you're going to be consuming way too much carbohydrate or way too much fat, depending Mm -hmm. on what you're eating. It's kind of like when people say, oh, well, peanuts are high in protein or peanut butter is high in protein. (laughs) And I'm like, yes, relative to other plants, but relative to your primary sources of protein, they're not like you're looking at what six grams of protein and two tablespoons of peanut butter versus 16 grams of fat in two tablespoons of peanut butter. That to That's me just is wishful a, thinking. <laughs> right? Okay. Good luck. Not going over on calories because you've got nine calories for every gram of fat that you're eating versus four for every protein, every gram of protein that you're eating. Yeah. So good luck, not over consuming and putting on excess body fat. What are you going to do? Eat the whole tub. And that's probably still not going to be enough. <laughs> I think that it's all about balance. This comes down to balance, balance and consistency. If you take anything away from today, balance and consistency, balance of your plate, balance of each meal, balance of each macronutrient, depending on your goals, and then consistency of all of the above. And this is the thing. The reason why we're talking about this is I literally just went through everything you just described. I have clients that are eating all 80 grams of protein for the day in one meal because they missed their breakfast or they missed lunch because they had a meeting, like the priority gets shifted and they're not getting protein in consistently. Or on the flip side, they nail their protein and calories for the week, but they did not do one workout. And, you know, we, we talk about it being a practice and you have to get used to that, but nailing those two together is really important. So Yeah. And Nicole, I think it's useful to give our audience a little bit of kind of a practical guide to how to approach Mm -hmm. this. Right. So yeah, first and foremost, when you're talking about changing any habit and if the habit that you're changing is increasing your protein intake, you have to think about the other little habits like we always talk about that are associated with your protein. Right. So you have to do grocery shopping for Mm -hmm. the protein that you're eating. You have to prep. You have to find a recipe. You have to cook. Right. And you have to kind of plan it out. And Here's the thing that I've gotten before is that when you work with people and they're like 
just trying to, as they go through the day, build that yeah. amount and fingers crossed. Yeah. Hopefully I hit it by <laughs> the end of the day. That's not the right approach. So oftentimes what I'll say is plan it out even the day before and just structure out what your meals are going to look like for that following day and mm -hmm. say, okay, well, what am I going to do for breakfast? How many grams of protein is that? What am I going to do for meal two and three and so on and so forth? And then if you fall short, you're not at the end of the day trying to scramble to fit in protein or just saying, oh, well, I'll try again tomorrow. And then you're using that same logic the next day and you're saying, OK, well, I, the next day, OK, I'm going to today eat this way and see if that works for me. Right. You can't use that same logic. It does take some prior planning. I think planning is the biggest thing when it comes to clients eating adequate protein. So you, you really need to focus on the planning aspect of it and say, OK, start to get familiar with. And this is where I say, okay, you can use my fitness pal, even though some of the entries are sometimes wrong in my fitness pal. But in this, I use Calorie King and I say, mm -hmm. okay, Calorie King is going to be a useful tool to figure out, okay, well, how many ounces do I need of chicken breast, for example, to get to the quantity I want? And you can just play around on the app or on the website with the number of ounces and say, okay, well, four ounces gets me to 30 grams. I'm just making that up. I don't really know off the top of my head. 26.7. Or I'll tell you what, I'll do you one even better. What's even better? I'll do you oh. one even better. Go to the Eat Right Nutrition Instagram and DM me your email address. Mm -hmm. And I will forward you the, macro the protein guide. macro guide, the yes. cheat sheet that has it laid out based on four meals Cows. a day. You'll you'll be able to figure it out from there. It'll be a kind of a little a little cheat. That was literally on the tip of my tongue, and I was just waiting to get a word in edgewise when you were talking to be like, you know what's even better than Calorie King is the macro cheat sheets that Darone created. That I use them with all my clients, and what we do is go through and highlight in different colors. What's just whatever what's, what protein? Has, what has fat in it, and and all and all that. Yeah, stuff. but it'll but how to build a meal off of it, and this is what I've gotten really really good. And now that I've been using them with clients for so long. I have the red meals, the green meals, the blue meals and the yellow meals. So, well, you've for been, example, you've been highlighting them. I don't know what I, I have been. I, I do it with my from. clients. I do with clients. It's, it's actually been really helpful. I, so I took the sheets that, that you created and then what I'll do with the client is go on this sheet. Like what is your favorite protein? And then Daron has the ounces list, listed in that particular protein, like chicken, ground turkey, whatever. And what would you couple with that? Like, what, cause he has the protein, the carbs and the fats. And they'll be like, oh, I like broccoli and beef. I like with brown rice. So we'll go through his list and we'll highlight that in yellow broccoli, brief. <laughs> I can't say it. Broccoli, beef, and brown rice. And we'll highlight that in yellow. So their go-to meal is set. They don't have to think about it now. They know if that's the meal that they're going to have Tuesday and Thursday for dinner or Friday for for lunch, they already know what they need to measure it out as. They don't even have to look it up. It's already set for them. It's epic. You did an amazing job with those. Yeah. So shoot, shoot me a DM and I'll uh, forward you that information to make it a little bit easier for you. The other piece is, you know, we talk about protein on the go and we did that video on Instagram with uh, protein sources at 7-Eleven because I always mm -hmm. say protein is easy to get anywhere. And if you tell me otherwise, I'm going to call bullshit. So, you know, you, you can do things like certain types of protein bars. You can do things like the protein, the protein uh, chips. You can do yogurts. You can do eggs. There's, there's a ton of like hard boiled eggs. 
mm-hmm. could do protein shakes ready to drink. Although I generally recommend more whole food mm-hmm. sources of protein, mm-hmm. but there are certain things that I like that you can have as a go-to, as long as you're not picking one of those like candy bar protein bars. But I do <laughs> think, I do think that the industry has largely moved past that. There was a time where all protein bars were just candy bars with protein. And we've kind of moved past that. I think with like the advent of Quest bars was like the start of a chain reaction of like, all right, like how do we make these things a little better and still taste and still taste good. And Quest was like the first of its kind where, all right, like this still, this doesn't taste bad and it's not high in sugar. Yeah, we're, we're getting better. So tying it all together, I think protein is the second most important nutrient that we need to consume. We want to consume adequate protein based on our goals. And that is that if you're looking to build muscle, 1.6 to 2.0 grams per kilogram of body weight, or if you're looking to uh, lose body fat, then it's 2.0 to 2.2 grams per kilogram of body weight, assuming you're a healthy individual. Taking that protein anchored approach, consuming a primary source of protein at every meal, it's going to be super important for hunger, satiety. The protein that you're eating is going to be super important for health and wellness. And we're not just talking muscle building proteins like we mentioned uh, with collagen peptides. It's going to be really good for um, for connective tissue and joints and hair and skin and nails and, you know, all the things that the beautiful people want. And then we want to focus on planning your day, shopping, prepping, cooking and eating and making sure that we have strategies for protein on the go. Like we mentioned, some bars, shakes, maybe protein chips, yogurts, hard boiled eggs. Um, and things like beef jerky, turkey jerky, things of that sort that will be easy to grab in the times when you're kind of tight on time, which hopefully that's not most of the time. And if you are tight on time most of the time, then maybe we need to have a time management discussion Mm -hmm. and figure out a different area of your life and how your primary foods are tying into your decisions on what you're eating on a regular basis. And I know Nicole loves that I tied in primary foods there because that's her favorite topic. (laughs) And prioritizing protein, it takes work up front and it takes practice, but I promise you it gets a lot easier and you're going to live a much healthier, better, more energized, more fulfilled, more satiated life. Absolutely. And with that being said, if you enjoyed this episode, click subscribe, give us five stars, write a review, share this with a friend, and you'll hear us next week.